Namaste and I welcome you to this Wednesday 10 p.m. show and today we have an exceptional panel here and we are going to discuss the book by Sri Rajiv Alotra, Snakes on the Ganga and the co-author Vijay Lakshmiji and uh, of course uh, as always Wednesday 10 p.m. is never complete without Sri Vibhuti Jha and, and I have to thank uh, Sri Vibhuti Jha especially for uh, making today's talk possible. Uh, without any further ado, uh, let's move in and welcome uh, Rajiv ji, welcome Vijayaji, and welcome Vibhuti ji. So I go straight to Rajiv ji first. Rajiv ji, we find you're breaking India 2.0. Uh, I think it's uh, going to be launched in about 10, 15 days from now. I think yes. the 26th. 26th of September? Yes. And um, we've all been a fan of your Breaking India 1.0. Of course, it's known only as Breaking India, but now I think we'll have to rechristen it as Breaking India 1.0 probably. So uh, why did you feel the need of writing Breaking India 2.0? Because uh, uh, do you think that uh, the theories or the tropes that necessitated breaking India 1.0 have changed or morphed or mm, sufficiently altered themselves to harm India in uh, different ways? Yeah, the answer to all of these is yes. So let me explain. Uh, you know, the earlier breaking India focus was uh, the church because we followed the money. We, we looked at where in the original breaking India, even in this case, followed the money, followed the ideology, followed the influence. And that, in the earlier case, led to the church as one big nexus. And it led to Dravidianism. So those were the two major areas. Uh, now it's a whole different game. People uh, uh, people today uh, who are at the frontiers of creating trouble uh, for India, whether it's Washington Post or New York Times or BBC, uh, it's not the church as much. Church has got its own mischief going on, but it is not in, in, in this case. Uh, and uh, people who are in the U.S. Congress, uh, you know, who are uh, they're ultra left wing people, not the church, uh, who are putting all this noise against India, the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, even though it talks about religious freedom. But the people who are instigating it are not uh, the Christian church. So the the nexuses have changed, completely changed. Uh, it's more like uh, the successors of George Soros. Uh, George Soros was there already. But he is very old, in, you know. Very, now there are new people, so now it is. You have to ask why is the why are the billionaires, whether they are Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and uh, many others, uh, or whether it is the Indian billionaires, how come they have aligned themselves with the with the left? This is a very different phenomenon. So breaking India 1.0, you could see the manifestation in uh, JNU, uh, where people came from the grassroots and there were the Jolawalas and they were they were creating trouble. They are still creating trouble. But you did not have Ashoka University or Kriya or uh, uh, the Premji uh, establishment or this Godrej Culture Labs, these private universities which charge high fees and cater to the elites of India. They cater to the sons and daughters of the Indian, uh, Indian uh, industrialists and the corporate elites and various people. This is a new phenomenon. So now the Breaking India internationally is very different 
from the type of people who are doing it earlier. And we've identified Harvard in particular as the nest of snakes where they're developing all this logic and spreading it. And in, the, in India, the footprint of Breaking India 2.0 is also very different from the footprint for 1.0 because it's not the same old NGOs and JNU. It is these private sector uh, in, uh, you know, universities. It's a lot of industrialists in it. Uh, so the, the, the elites of India, the elites of India have been bought off. This is a very dangerous thing, very far worse than saying, okay, it's only coming from the bottom tier of uh, bottom strata in terms of socioeconomic. So that's why Breaking India 2.0 is a whole different ballgame. Uh, just to follow up on this, uh, you said that elites of India seem to have been bought off and they are probably the snakes along with the uh, snakes that you have uh, in Harvard and such institutions. But uh, I would think that the elites of India were always bought off. If there's, there's something new today, is there any difference? Yeah, I mean, the, the corporate elites were not into, this, uh, into, the, into the game until very recently. For one thing, they did not have such a large footprint. I mean, if you look at our chapters in, under the part two, which is on Harvard, which talks about uh, you know, different ind industrialists, each one of them gets a separate chapter. Those centers and departments found, found, funded by the Indian billionaires did not exist before 2010. So you're, we're talking about entirely new configurations now these guys have money. They did not. They were not the billionaires, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They have become billionaires. It's newly minted money uh, of the scale that has given them a, a top position in the world ranking of billionaires. This billionaire phenomenon of India is a very new phenomenon. And now they have started uh, showing their wealth in liberal arts and uh, fashionable funding of Harvard, which was not something happening in the past. In fact, my humble foundation was the only funding source from India at Harvard, uh, and I have written a whole chapter describing my experiences at Harvard 20 years ago. Nobody else was funding them. Why I funded them, what was my experience, why I stopped funding them. And after I stopped funding them a few years later, then came all these Indian billionaires taking over that vacuum and Harvard loved it. And these guys have been uh, supporting the very things that I opposed a long time ago. So it's a new game. Okay, so uh, my next question after that, I'll uh, ask Bhutiju to ask his questions. Is that uh, you have uh, made out certain differences and uh, I'll just uh, read, read that out for the uh, audience. Breaking India 1-0, you said old left uh, ideological framework then Breaking India 2.0, and uh, again, reminding the audience that this is a book we are talking about, Snakes in the Ganga, Breaking India 2.0, and uh, you can buy it from Amazon, you can pre-order it, and uh, it will be available, I think, on the 26th of September after the, it is formally launched. So, uh, Breaking India 1.0, Old Left Ideological Framework, Breaking India 2.0, CRT Framework, that Critical Race Theory Framework, extended to Indian victim groups. Number two, uh, Poor Villagers, Target of Conversion or as Foot Soldiers, and Breaking India 2.0, Urban Elites, Targets in Top Posts in Industry, Government, Civil Service, Entrepreneurship. Breaking India 1.0, Stated Goal is to Deliver Basic Needs, food, clothing, education, water, etc. 
and Rekig India 2.0 stated goal is to deliver development through technology leadership training at Harvard prestigious global networking. And number four, targets are isolated from the global nexuses and uh, Breaking India 2.0, Harvard trained Indian intermediaries run end-to-end -end knowledge channel at all levels. Uh, I, I just read it out for the benefit of the audience. Now, uh, my question to you on this, you're talking about critical race theory and uh, morphed into critical caste theory. But uh, we have had this uh, caste theory, basically, in fact, caste theory was devised for India by the Indologists. So uh, aren't the Indologists the original CRT makers? The Indologists uh, headed by people like Max Miller, John Muir, and then uh, all the Bishop Caldwell, uh, G.U. Pope, D. Nobili, and the Dravidian movement. Uh, how is this different from that? So the, the caste uh, uh, divisiveness is very old. That is what you're referring to. But critical race theory is a new kind of theory uh, which maps caste as race, uh, uh, Dalits as the blacks and uh, Brahmins as the whites. Uh, and it superimposes American, it superimposes American history of racism onto India. This is something new. Uh, previously, it was considered a you know, Vedic thing and Brahmanical thing and something internal. Nobody said that these are whites and these are blacks. They didn't say that. Now, the, the change is that it has very big consequences. In the United States, it has consequences to the NRIs, to the Indian uh, IT industry in Silicon Valley. They're attacking it for caste because they're saying that uh, the, most of the people, tech uh, people who are of Indian origin tend to be Brahmins. You know, if you look at all the successful guys that tend to be Brahmins, they're demanding a caste census in Microsoft, in Google, in, in Facebook, in Apple, in Amazon. They're demanding. And in many places, they're, they're conducting caste uh, briefings, workshops, embarrassing the Indians there and claiming that this whole casteism from India has come into the H-1B visa. And so the entire tech industry should be questioned. Now, this is entering American HR departments in a big way. Uh, these HR departments are instituting new laws saying that casteism should be treated as racism, which has legal implications in the United States. Because there are laws, if anybody accuses someone of racism, there are legal procedures that have to be followed. So now for the first time, if somebody, and there are cases against Cisco, for example, and there are other cases coming, where if somebody says, I was discriminated against on grounds of my caste, then in the United States for the first time, because it's treated as racism, it will have to be prosecuted in a certain manner, which, which didn't happen in the United States. So once these HR departments have started doing censuses of caste and putting caste quotas for the first time ever in the tech industry in Silicon Valley that never existed, then the next step is they're going to start doing it in Bangalore because they have subsidiaries. Bangalore and other, Hyderabad and other places, whether it's a Microsoft subsidiary or a Google subsidiary or a Facebook subsidiary, or whether they're outsourcing, like, like IBM is outsourcing from TCS, those people that they're outsourcing or sourcing from will be required to be cast, uh, compliant with American race race uh, laws. So this is very new. This is a there are legal implications, there are social implications, there are corporate implications, and and the we are concerned that the competitiveness of Indian tech industry will decline because Indian tech industry will no longer be meritocracy. So one of the books we have criticized is from Harvard Ajanta Subramaniam. She, her whole book. Uh, is on this uh, IITs as a casteist institution uh, and, and, and a call for dismantling that. 
and a call for changing the laws on H1B and bringing IIT people and so on because he says that these are all this is a, this is a structure that is oppressing Dalits. It's a and it's a it's a white Brahmins uh, oppressing the Dalits who are non uh, you know uh, the underprivileged. So this is a completely new game. In the law of the United States, it's a new game. Uh, in the tech industry, it never happened before. It's a new game. And the use of uh, Marxism uh, is a new thing now. Uh, this Marxism, previously, you know, Marx 200 years ago didn't exist. These Marxism didn't exist. Uh, and so Marxism is a new thing. So original Marxism was only economic class. It was not race as a criteria. It was not white versus black kind of black versus white. It was economic class. It, uh, Marx was very, very clear on that. Uh, then uh, the Frankfurt School in the Second World War expanded it from, uh, you know, economic uh, clash to also discourse. And uh, the means of production that he was fighting was not just economic means of production, but also the means of producing discourse. So cinema, universities, discourse production. They, they started this kind of a theory, which is very, very fascinating. And then this was brought to Berkeley by a German called Herb, Herbert Marcuse. He was a Marxist who came uh, uh, soon after World War II or during World War II he came and he started this thing in Berkeley, creating the Americanization of Marxism. And this Americanized Marxism uh, does not focus on economic strata like the original Marxism. It focuses on race as the criteria. So blacks versus white became the new Marxism. And then this was turned into something called critical legal theory. The critical legal theory came out of a professor of law at Harvard University. So now it became a theory that says that legals, uh, the, the, the way the law is and the amount of punishment given and the prosecution is unfair to uh, blacks. And it is a structural problem from the U.S. Constitution and all that law. So it was Marxism applied to race, but limited to the legal system. And then a few years after that came critical race theory. The critical legal theory got expanded and became critical race theory. All along, this was very marginal. Only a few leftist people believed in these things, but mainstream people didn't really take it seriously. After Black Lives Matter, George Floyd tragedy that happened, uh, this got a new momentum and the whole liberal white guilt, all this liberal white guilt that has been in them uh, came out in the form of supporting this critical race theory. And then this critically uh, started bringing in Muslims as a protected class, uh, LGBTQ feminists. So it brought in all these people together uh, as sort of the oppressed. And the oppressor is the, the American system, the American structures. And then came Dalits saying, oh, you know, we'll turn it into critical caste theory and we'll apply it to India. So a lot of similar fights, a lot of similar fights that have been going on already in India. You're absolutely right. Now turbocharged with a new theory supported by blacks. In Blacks in America were actually, they were Gandhians because Martin Luther King was a Gandhian. Blacks in America were not anti-Hindu until this whole thing happened. Uh, whites, yes, you had uh, people like uh, Bobby Jinder trying to become a white. But now you have Suraj Jende at Harvard trying to become a black. This is a very new phenomenon. Uh, in, you, you had honorary whites before, uh, like Bobby Jinder. And now, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the picture of uh, Sura Jende. We have lots to say on him. Yes, yes. Uh, he, he's a favorite of our uh, future Chief Justice of India. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we also have uh, this, uh, this, uh, this Justice of India, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, uh, 
ചന്ദ്രചൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യൂദ്യ
and in the west uh, in the western other civilizational context you you it's easier because it's either male female they're christian they have a religious identity a gender identity and 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 very minimal things but as in indians are very complex you know our, our culture our thanks to our rishis we have so many identities you know we have a, a kuladevata a different bhasha a, a linguistic identity a food every village has its own food so which grama you know which village you belong to is an identity you know um, so it, it's all kinds of uh, and that's why even the um, religious conversions couldn't do much uh, uh, but had to sort of appropriate some of these things because people could not let go of the way they sort of even practice religion and that's a form of identity so we uh, we uh, each one of us in india are are ourselves uh, a complex mix of identities and it's very hard uh, to break all these identities and only when you and why should they break identities i think only when you strip up identity identity essentially gives you grounding solid grounding you know who the person you are whereas if you break identities it's easy to manipulate you so if you don't even know what gender you are and this whole transgender movement that you have it's essentially you know showing that when you strip people especially youngsters of their identity a very core basic identity and confuse them whether they're man or a woman i mean as core as that then they're easily you know you can easily manipulate them to be your foot soldiers on the ground so marxists essentially want foot soldiers on the ground to topple existing structures and then bring in uh, you know a so called new world order you know so i guess whether uh, whether hindus are you know uh, doing any harm or not doing any harm is is not the question it's essentially a new world order is sort of being designed on a global a global scale where uh, you know there are there is literature already about you know horizontal histories not vertical histories uh, this whole idea that rajiv ji talked about you know the civilizational grand narratives that we talk about so those things are things of the past uh, according to marxists and they want to even suraj jangade in fact talks about the fourth world order uh, where he wants to uh, unite you know the the dalits uh, of the world so to speak or or the blacks of the world or the you know the marginalized of the world so uh, so the, they they envision a new world order and to end, to make that a reality existing structures have to be dismantled and essentially crt is uh, or critical caste theory is 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 a tool is a, it's an it's a tool for activism which comes in the form of in the guise of scholarship um, you know Uh, or it, it's into into corporations, or it comes as a, a as a do good, a social justice uh, for all kind of uh, guys. But it actually has the end game is to sort of dismantle, and it's hard to dismantle existing institutions and uh, structures. So the only way to do it is to sort of brainwash uh, the new generation, um, get into education, get into government, get into corporates, and uh, and then and thus create uh, foot soldiers who can then do the work for you. so i think that would be my uh, you know uh, guess as to w- why they want to do india i think it's it's happening the world over and it's happening at a rap- rapid pace because even america is facing the same thing and it's a it's tra- it's a tragedy to see what we see um in great institutions in america that are being toppled by this sort of nonsense rajiv ji to you i wanted to uh, you know check with you about this the attack of the critical caste theory the morphing of race theory to caste theory and all that is there any genuine evidence of that but what disturbs me we have done couple of conversations on this issue of caste based scenario here is that while equality labs report 
get so much currency, which you and I and the rest of the world knows is bogus. But at the same time, the Carnegie Foundation research, which said that there is no evidence of that. This is an evidence-based society. Why is this evidence being ignored? Is there any authentic, actual evidence of the Silicon Valley practicing caste-based discrimination? So uh, you've hit on a very important point, uh, which also, uh, you know, people in India need to know these things. So, so the questions that Sanjay asked are very important, uh, which reveal that people in India, there's a knowledge gap about what's going on. But don't think that this is just an American thing, uh, Sanjay. Uh, I mean, I'll come to your answer, Vibhutiji. Uh, uh, but I think that people in India and in all the interviews I've had so far feel that maybe what's new is some kind of thing happening in India, in USA. But this is what starts at Harvard doesn't stay at Harvard. And what starts in Silicon Valley, Microsoft headquarters ends up in Microsoft India also, and it ends up in all the tech industry. So we are talking about a whole new avalanche, a whole new tidal wave, which the Pan-IIT better wake up and understand. They have tried to dodge this issue. Uh, so Vibhudiji, I went to so many people, IIT people, and they're not interested in going public and sticking their neck out and talking about it, even though their industry, where they've made their hundreds of millions, is in threat. So the question you're asking is very important. Uh, basically, politically motivated, uh, politically motivated Marxist-driven uh, reports that these people like uh, Quality Labs have produced, and backed by the theory of uh, uh, IITs being bastions of casteism by Ajanta Subramaniam, Harvard professor, published by Harvard University Press, uh, and backed by uh, Suraj Yende at Harvard Kennedy School, very prestigious place, and supported by Cornell West. The, the one of the leading African-American ideologues today, all of this coming together in a very systematic way, not accidentally, but coordinated way coming from Harvard and going through all over the world. This is a very, very big thing that India needs to wake up and understand. So whether it is authentic or not is not the issue, because you see, as we just said, the end justifies the means. They, are, they have a certain end goal. The end goal is to establish a new world order. But as I like to say, what they are creating is a new world disorder. They, their goal may be to create a new world order, but what they are creating is a new world disorder. They are dismantling the old structures, but they have no experience creating new structures. You see, destroying is one thing. You can, you can blow up somebody's house and maybe you're standing in the house and you'll also be dead, but you're not that smart. You just want to be destructive, but you have no experience creating something new. These guys have no, never done any, never built anything new, any new institutions, any new uh, structures. They are just into destruction. That is what Marxism calls for. You have a thesis, you create an antithesis and you fight. Uh, you have narrative, you create a counter-hegemonic narrative and so on. Now to your question, why is this empirical-based society in the United States buying all this? So I've told you their motive, which is to create a disorder. But why are the um, Americans buying it? Well, Americans are buying it because America is also highly PR-oriented, highly oriented towards lobby groups, highly and this these people are getting very big funding. You know, it's not like some grassroots movement that uh, Sondere Rajan runs in uh, Quality Labs. These people are getting funding from big sources. And that is what we are uncovering in this book. Who are these big sources? What's in it for them? Why are they doing it? And we, in the conclusion of the book, we've come up with a very new theory on what is the grand plan on a global scale, which is behind all this. So you can read that. I, I, we want to keep that as a thing that people should read for themselves when they get, they get a copy of the book. 
But to 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 your point, uh, the the facts that they are producing, the the facts they are claiming are not valid. You are absolutely right. Not only Carnegie report was different, but reports from the Britain, from many other reports from the United States, completely poked holes through this this these reports. But these reports are the basis of uh, workshops on caste being taught. I have people from Microsoft. I have people calling me from Facebook, from Amazon, from Apple, Indians, saying that they are being required to sit in workshops called caste sensitivity training. And they find it very embarrassing. They find it humiliating that the culture is being humiliated in front of the whole world. And they have to sit quietly and listen. Because if they open their mouth, they are called racist. They call you are racist. Because uh, you are a white supremacist, you are aligned with the white supremacist, and you are destroying the blacks of India, the Dalits. So they have to sit quietly. They've been told by HR people that you just sit quietly and listen. This is what's going on right now. It's been going on for the past year, and it's accelerating. And, and we are tracking it because we record all these workshops they do, and we have a whole inventory of videos. And this is, uh, this is partly successful lobbying by the ultra-left. Partly it's guilt. That there is a white guilt. That all these billionaires made a lot of money. They want to be politically correct. They don't want to be attacked. But I think one of the greatest, brilliant things that these guys have done, the Indian Marxists and Dalits have done, is alliance with the blacks. Because this alliance with the blacks, with Black Lives Matter movement, got them right in the door of the Democratic Party. The whole Democratic Party is into this now, into this critical race theory and hence caste. They got, it got them into the corporate sector. It got them into universities in a big way. Uh, there are a lot of bills in the local legislature. I hope in New York it's uh, different, but I know in California and various places, there are a whole lot of bills that uh, are formally including caste as a form of race, formally, in their, in their books of uh, you know, how they're going to prosecute people. So this is, this is a very serious matter. Uh, that uh, that uh, we are we are now discussing, and Indians should not trivialize it because this is going to hit India. It is already hitting. It is already entered Chandrachud. Now, if it entered Chandrachud, <laughs> he's a he's a he's a Harvard trained guy. Now, it's not a coincidence. He's a and his uh, dad is an elitist. He's also an elitist. So they're talking about this uh, dismantling the structures of elitism. Uh, maybe he should start by dismantling the structures that are of his own life and his own family. Uh, maybe maybe he should consider. You know, some kind of a, some kind of volunteering and saying, "Okay, I gave up all this elitism because I I don't believe in it." That would at least uh, he'll put his uh, money where his mouth is, so to speak. But this is entered. You know, there was no such thing as Mahindra Center at Harvard University when I wrote the first book. There was no such thing as Lakshmi Mittal South Asia Institute at Harvard University when I wrote that book. There was no such thing as Piramal Center. Pinamal professor. There was no such thing as Reliance Ambani chair at uh, Stanford. So, you know, these are new things. And so you have to take note of these new things. And this is where the poison is coming from, which India is now facing. And brave people like Jay Shankar are doing a very good job fighting these fires. But our job is to find out that while a lot of us are fighting the fires, where are the fires coming from? Who is putting, starting these fires? Who is putting fuel on the fire? Because that also we ought to know. It's not good enough to go around firefighting because we run out of energy. We don't have enough resources to keep fighting fires. It's getting worse all the time. They're starting more fires now. We need to know the source and we need to address that. Thank you.
Uh, okay, so uh, let's talk a little about the structure of the work. Of course, before we do that, just an aside. Uh, okay, before that, I have to request all the viewers to please uh, uh, ask your questions. You can ask questions through WhatsApp or through uh, Super Chat. And also remember, we are talking about uh, Rajiv Malhotra and uh, Vijay Lakshmi Ji's uh, new book, which is going to be launched in India on the 26th of September. It is called Snakes in the Ganga, Breaking India 2.0. And I'll request the desk to please show the cover page also. Uh, you, uh, you talked about, Rajiv Ji, you talked about uh, the dogma that infiltrates and doesn't this dogma uh, actually conform to the ep basic epistemology of the west the abrahamic religions as well as marxism i put them all in the same class the epistemology is the same the word is the proof so whatever dogma they churn out is the proof by itself the the um, what is called the bivalued system so Sanjay, you hit on a very important point. There is a whole section in this book called the Church of Wokeism. Uh, we, we called it that. And we compared the table which says this is a church and this is dogma, this is high priests, uh, dissent is not allowed, uh, you are considered blasphemy if you oppose, and the equivalent is cancel culture. So, you know, this whole business of uh, who are the heretics, uh, you know, uh, so if you look at the pillars of church, what makes it powerful, what makes it successful, you will find exact equivalence in this in this thing. So the term church of wokeism is not out of place. It is a, it literally so. These are very dangerous. Uh, they are very dangerous configurations. Now, I, by the way, I don't want people to misunderstand us and say, okay, you're not helping Dalits. You don't believe in Dalits have a problem. Dalits do have a problem. Dalits are being oppressed. Dalits need more rights. I am fully for that. But I am not... Uh, in favor of the Dalits going to Harvard to get the Harvard people to do the danda on India. Harvard people don't know how to solve their own problems. Harvard has a whole history of all this stuff themselves. And Harvard is incapable of solving this problem in the United States. So it has really no business to go around scolding India and putting policies of sanctions on India and formulating policies for the US Congress and US Senate and the State Department to go forward on India. The, the Harvard has so much influence the Kennedy School actually trains the political people and the thinkers and think tanks and all that all over the world. So Harvard is uh, the one that is churning this and sending it out in all directions. Uh, the, the plight of the Dalits is a different matter. I, I'm fully uh, in sympathy with the Dalits, but India has answers. India has problems. India has answers. And these answers should be found in the context of Indian constitution and in the context of Indian civilization. And these answers should be found by Indian people within India and not bring, importing Harvard ideology. So that is the disconnect is, is uh, bringing, as you said, Western universalism dogma, uh, a church-like kind of dogma, which has been formulated for export to India as a kind of special poison, if you will, and put into all these snakes and export it, send them back to India. That, I think, is the problem. We are not denying that Dalits have issues, they're legitimate issues. These ought to be solved. We are for it. We would like to. I, in fact, wrote to Surah Jengde. He never replied. But I said, Surah, you're a smart guy. You're a charismatic guy. Let's work together. Let's see what the problems are. And let's all of us Indians get together and solve these problems. Why you want to go to Harvard 
and uh, used that money, went after another anti-India, anti-Hindu, uh, calling Chakracharya, uh, you know, obscene things, bad names and all that. Why you want to abuse your culture, your heritage? Uh, uh, you know, we can all work it out amongst ourselves. No reply from them. So I, I think that there is a difference between the average rank and file Dalit in India and the leaders who've sold out. The leaders who've sold out and become the elites, gone to some fancy places, uh, you need, you, we are questioning those people. That doesn't mean that we are not in sympathy with the rank and file Dalit who's got problems. We certainly are. You actually, you, you, you got the point absolutely right because uh, it's not just the elites who've gone abroad. I can talk about uh, the elites uh, whom I have uh, experienced in my own service, the IAS and the civil services where uh, the Dalits enjoy reservation, but there is not one person who has given up his reservation for the sake of his poor Dalit colleague. Never. Not one case. All the IAS officers, they want, after having served as even chief secretaries, they still want reservation for their sons and daughters. So elitism, if you become an elite, this whole business of reservation, I, I don't know where it is going because it is now being cornered by a minuscule class. And there is a problem of elitism within the Dalits. That nobody yes. seems to address, that nobody seems yes. to talk about. That is correct. Uh, and I'll, I'll now come to the structure of your book, because I haven't read the book, of course, it's not come out, only read an outline. And that outline actually divides it into four parts. So I would like you to highlight uh, those four parts. The first part, of course, is the Americanization of Marxism. Now, this Americanization, as far as I understand, uh, I see that there is a Gramsci model, there is a Derrida model, uh, there is a Frankfurt School model, and there is, of course, a, a liberal model which seems to uh, encompass all, all the other three. Now, which one is working uh, the, what should one say, the best for the American Marxist or the present books? So the Americanization of Marxism, which is of chapter one, is basically showing that the Frankfurt School, uh, the, one of their leaders was a man called Herbert Marcuse. Uh, he came to Berkeley, uh, and and uh, this is in the in the fifties. And he brought uh, he Americanized Marxism because he saw race happening in this country, which was not the basis of Marxism in Europe. It was not race oriented; it was economic strata. And he realized that there's a huge opportunity to to create a Marxist revolution by morphing it into race. So the turning Marxism into a race theory uh, was a very new innovative kind of a thing. And he also came out with the idea of a, of a counter hegemony, that to fight the hegemony, you need to have a counter hegemony. And his idea of counter hegemony became later on what is called cancel culture, which means that uh, you, know, you silence your opponents, you don't even let them speak. Uh, if, unless somebody agrees with you, you don't let them speak, you cancel them, you throw them out, you shout at them. All of this is happening on American campuses, this cancel culture, and it's entering the American corporate world. Because when they have this, uh, these workshops, uh, you are supposed to sit there and listen. You cannot argue. So uh, this, the, the Americanization of Marxism is bringing Marxism in a, into American society and bringing it into American social structure of race. That's the Americanization of Marxism. And the next chapter, of course, you talked about it already, the critical 
race theory and morphing it into the critical caste theory yes uh, that is the that is the second chapter and the third chapter is about harvard and uh, of course the last chapter is about the indian elites uh, i think so i will uh, I, i will suggest that vijaya vijaya in while we writing we took specialized areas you know vijaya focused on the part 3 the final part which is the indian bringing all these things into india so vijaya maybe you want to talk about what are what is the footprint in india roughly where all these american things from harvard have taken root and what is the problem with all that um so okay so the the entire thing whether it's scholarship or businesses the entire thing leads to activism so universities produce you know we talk extensively about uh, harvard but also uh, you know the theories behind which are then transferred into places like ashoka and uh, where activism so the end goal is activism and how ashoka becomes a distributing channel plus uh, creating new activists on the ground in in the in, in the form of students now similarly corporates uh, have something you know there's a whole movement of the esg which has s stands for social justice so environment social justice uh, you know and governance so the governance part takes care of a diverse uh, body of Uh, people that are governing and diverse is essentially based on skin color in india's case it would be based on caste i'm assuming uh, and then social justice so uh, before a corporate used to be uh, when you when you invested 100 rupees in a company a publicly traded company um, the fiduciary responsibility would be to you know make sure that they give you the maximum profit so that is only the, the single goal regardless of how they you know there were laws governing the company to make sure that they were doing business in an ethical fashion but or in a legal fashion but the single fiduciary responsibility is to return you know for your investment but now the um, you know that has changed uh, where when you invest in public companies they not only profit is just one of the three other goals and the three other goals are environment s and g social justice and governance so companies so the the rating companies like um, you know eny and all these people are on the esg bandwagon so they make money making sure companies are all esg compliant and uh, so what is social justice essentially uh, so corporates are essentially becoming police of social justice and so who's social justice what social justice so essentially it's all this critical race theory nonsense that becomes the um, the standard for social justice in comp- in in the us companies and their counterparts in india because it's all a global system so uh, corporates are being infiltrated with this as well so activism has entered very beautifully i mean the marxists have done a great job you have to give them that um have entered the corporate you know workplace so uh, you have to comply um, so you know corporate leaders ha- have to just not only do they have to produce a profit but sometimes they sacrifice the profit for complying with esg criteria now um you know so is, is that correct is that a good fiduciary response i mean are there you know conflicts with the fiduciary responsibility nobody asks and these are questions that one should definitely ask because when you're investing so pension funds so you you know people in america have pension funds whose money is being invested in this garbage and it's not producing a return and these are people who are old who are depending on a return and you know there's some social justice nonsense is being uh, you know that these guys come up with yeah they are investing in things like that so uh, essentially that ends up being a way to attack again critical race theory coming into the corporate world and uh, you know now we also have uh, you know 
religious type things um you know we we do also predict that you know in the future uh, for religious um you know they, they have all these religious committees within um companies and so they have to give voices so soon you'll have i mean i wouldn't be surprised if indian companies uh, are allowing evangelism through uh, you know uh, uh, the company space uh, you know so to give a voice to uh, you know the minority christians who who need a voice to spread the gospel and and that would be a good esg scoring so these are things that are very you know so what does it actually mean social justice sounds good but behind every nice sounding uh, term that the marxists use uh, you have something lethal uh, that is behind it so essentially the the corporates of so the last part of the elites on one side are funding and it we as we we said you know we perhaps knowingly or unknowingly we don't know it could also be hush money uh, to keep the social justice warriors off their backs right to fund these things so they don't attach them and then uh, you know and use their corporate ground and godrej is you know with the culture labs uh, we you know we do an entire section on that um it is to sort of train people on these trendy lgbtq ideas not that india hasn't had uh, transgenders we 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 you know respected transgenders as mohini you know lord vishnu himself and um, and these these sort of ideas are not brought in but the trendy western ones are brought in so corporates have again become a cesspool for this sort of nonsense through the esg uh, and that's what we discussed towards the end of the uh, you know the book where we have elites who are controlling this up front up the pipeline with with producing the scholarship or funding it and and downstream by giving spaces in their corporations for this kind of activity and you know just adding to that uh, brilliant summary adding to that in the final part which uh, vidya put together uh, she's also described uh, some of the major universities uh, by name and you know we are actually naming names we, to be very honest with you we are not generic harvard doing this with indian billionaires we have chapters on billionaire a billionaire b billionaire c naming them uh, dozens of times and similarly the universities in india that have been set up by with the harvard inspired inspiration and private money uh, that are basically a franchise operation bringing american uh, you know these kind of uh, uh, theories into the into the indian mainstream and getting a lot of indian young people involved these are this is all in the the final part of the book also i won't name this today because i want people to read this there is a young version of uh, george soros people keep talking about george soros but he's an old guy and yeah he's done a lot of harm and that will continue we're not saying that that will go away but there's a, there are younger versions of george soros they're half his age they're far worse they have far more money billions tens of billions some of them and they are putting their money into what george soros is doing but far, in a more serious way they have infiltrated india in a big time and we have done a case study where there is one person who's got you know hundreds of ventures and uh, thousands of indian entrepreneurs working in his ventures and he's involved in get in taking replacing the government services kind of provide stepping into mediate legal things legal disputes providing the public with services that look like he's a very nice guy almost like the east india company stepped in to behave like the government and became the government uh, so this is like the new east india company digital digital kind of a version of that providing a lot of services in a lot of uh, uh, poor areas they've targeted the poor areas because they know that people are vulnerable 
all that done in the name of social justice all of this done and all done in the name of without fcra requirement because these are not ngos this is fdi they are calling it investment <laughs> so it's corporate investment so you see one of the things happening is that the old ngo model is being replaced by the new fdi model which is you bring money in the guise of setting up a business of course whether you make a profit or a loss that is less material to them they have plenty of money to throw but you make it look like it's a for profit entity and so you can get write offs for spending money on that uh, but you don't have the same disclosure requirements uh, ngos have a lot of disclosure requirements uh, non profits but for profits do not have the same disclosure requirements as the non profits do uh, and so the accountability of a for profit company is very different than the accountability of a non profit company so when a for profit company assumes the role of civic society providing services which are traditionally government that is a problem and that is some of, one of the things that esg is encouraging them to do all right and then with a, with a, with a, with a follow up on this matter because both both of you have taken this resembles the story of the david versus goliath you have taken up the harvard university which is virtually in everything in the united states from the government to the wall street and they are controlling the narrative you have also touched upon the aspirational part of the indian students and indian parents that mera beta mera bachcha harvard ja raha hai but we are behind that there is such a brainwash going on here my question is very simple there will be vicious attacks on this book and the two of you because you are here and the vicious attacks will come very venomously if i may add are you ready with your armada of supporters to rebut refute and stand up to this so i'll uh, i'll i'll answer it because and then i then i want then i want vijay vijay to answer also so i've yeah. been in this for 30 years and uh, i've always taken on the biggest biggest uh, role model on the other side the biggest target not some little fringe target so when i took on uh, wendy doniger she was the biggest uh, target uh, when i took on uh, you know sheldon pollock is the biggest target all of these people that i've critiqued uh, with lot of evidence uh, it has created a huge backlash and a huge fight their followers come running after you and so for me uh, it would not have made sense to pick some small time uh, you know university or think tank and give examples i mean harvard is the worst of the lot and so we have to name names and harvard claims to be into free thinking and so i welcome debates with them i welcome if they want to do a rebuttal and we can argue back and forth if we are wrong we are wrong we'll admit it uh, but let's be gentlemanly let's be civilized i'm i'm so in other words i am going all out saying harvard let's sit down and talk i can go to any forum you can come i can go to your campus you can bring in your experts and we can go through our book and i'll give you my evidence you can give yours my co-author and i we are happy to argue so we are going with the integrity and honesty of free thinking genuine intellectuals looking for debate and and that is what harvard claims in their course catalog that they are teaching people teaching young people to do that so we are taking them up on it and and so if they if they give us vicious attacks i mean they have plenty of supporters they have supporters in the corporate world they have tens of thousands of indian alumni all over the world who come running after us i know all that i know all that but you know at some point in time and i decided 30 years ago in the prime of my career when i was making tons of money actually making more money than some of these billionaires at that time because they were not billionaires they were small time players and i had succeeded in a very big scale very early in my life i gave up all that 
in order to pursue the truth, in order to pursue my swadharma, in order to follow the path of you know our rishis in terms of uh, doing what we can do to give back to society. So whether if they attack and all that, which which, which is normal, if they attack, I, I am I prepared with an armada? No, I don't have any armada. But I think they will expose themselves because in this day and age, you cannot block a book. Even if you block the printed copies, it's going to be on on a Kindle. It's going to be uh, in languages, different languages. Uh, it's not just being printed in India. It's going to be printed in many countries. You can't go after all that. So what are, what they will achieve is fueling the fire. More people will read it. More people will want to, if they attack, they'll, then people want to know what why the hell they have the attack. You know? So I think they're better off. I would say the billionaires and Harvard, all of them are better off saying, okay, Maybe these guys have a point. Maybe they don't. Maybe half of it is right. Maybe half of it is not. Let's sit down and talk to them. Let's be reasonable. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that there are reasonable people on the other side who want to actually sit down with us and understand our point of view, look at our evidence. We have 1,600, more than 1,600 endnotes. We have more than 100 pages bibliography. So it is extremely well referenced. And by the way, we have downloaded all the evidence that we have quoted so that if they delete their videos, we have a copy of them. If they delete their website, we have a copy of them. And we are going to take all the evidence which is now sitting on a G drive and we are going to put it up on the website so that people can take type in any evidence, any footnote number, any endnote number, and we'll give them a snapshot of what that evidence is. So the evidence can't hide. They can't run away with that anymore. Uh, so this is a pretty watertight case we have made. And we know that when you do something so solid, so rigorous, uh, so compelling, then the uh, people who are very highly armed and weaponized and with a lot of money, a lot of credibility, they're coming after you too. We know that. But we are counting on, we are counting on the honest, truth-seeking, average human beings to speak up for us when that happens, if and when that happens. Because it's it will be everybody's fight. It is not just... Vijaya's fight and my fight. We're fighting everybody's fight. And it's not just Hindus and it's not just uh, Indians. We're fighting this on behalf of all truth seekers who feel that this biased system must go. That this elitism, using elitism to take over power. What has happened is the Vashyas with a lot of money are becoming the Kshatriyas, buying off the Kshatriyas, beg, borrow, steal and take over political power. And, the, and we are explaining in the last chapter, in the uh, conclusion, why they are doing it? What's the game for them? Why is money-based power the next frontier that they want to do? So that's what we are exposing. So I will now request uh, Vijayaji, please, Vijayaji, you give your view. And by the way, I have to say that uh, I have a, another back-to-back -back conference. I was told this is one hour long, but uh, I definitely want to hear Vijaya, please. Proceed. Yeah, so quickly, Harvard's sort of motto says, Veritas, you know, seeking the truth. So uh, what we've exposed is the truth. Um, although we don't have a big army um, uh, per se, because a lot of people in India are not aware of these things. A lot of people in America, I think we'll have tremendous support in America because um, we sort of show Americans who are also very concerned about these sorts of issues, about the link with um, India, Indian scholars in producing the sort of atrocity literature, if you will, that's trying to dismantle even American society. Thirdly, I think uh, all of us are clamoring for our children's education, uh, myself included, uh, because we have to sort of put them somewhere. Um, uh, now have to realize that, especially for a liberal arts education, 
are they willing to put up in for example in ashoka 10 lakhs a year uh, you know for 3 4 years uh, and and get a get an activist out of them in the end uh, or you know uh, $70000 a year you know for a harvard education per year uh, and and essentially have uh, you know be distanced from your child and not recognize him or her and after the 4 years because even um, you know suraj jengde himself sort of prompts the uh, the youngsters there's a, you know in these ivy league saying that if you want to if you really support this it's just not good enough to say yes yes you have to be an ally and what does that allyship mean allyship encompasses sort of telling you you know rejecting your own parents uh, because they are casteist so you know this sort of um, you know these sort of uh, you know family conflicts is what all this causes as well so one has to ask as a parent are you willing to cough up so much for, for for a liberal arts degree because everybody you know is so proud that your child is going to harvard and this is uh, something that we all have to sit back and think and and only then can we you know can we uh, reinvent education itself for for all of us you know overseas as well as uh, in india Uh, okay do we have time for audience question rajiv ji so you know uh, we have 4 uh, minutes to finish the one hour let's say we go 5 minutes over so can we wrap it up because i have another yes yeah, so, so i'll just ask you one uh, simple question Then but you know you know after i leave after i leave uh, vijay can continue there's no problem i mean i just uh, okay I, okay that's very good that's very good yeah okay that's that's perfect uh, so before you leave uh, do you think that uh, anybody in the government of india would read this and uh, would actually follow up on it well you see <laughs> i mean i hope so but you know what's happening is i have a track record of predicting things which i did in many of previous books and they came out uh, now a lot of uh, the breaking india original book uh, created a whole wave of uh, scholars and uh you know monthans and uh, youtube channel your channel basically taking those breaking india ideas and giving a lot of examples and a lot of space to different people so a lot of activists have come out of that a lot of uh, you know think tanks new new kind of thinking have come out of that government has become vigilant so i understand and we have credibility that what we are saying uh, should be taken seriously uh, so uh, there is every reason to believe that they ought to look at all this stuff and now we have a we have a star studded a tour of uh, you know 15 or so events in four cities and then we, in india uh, and we are hoping that these people big being important people will read the book and i think they will the book has already sold out with the first print run was 10000 copies with the publisher told me that 13000 orders have been received and so they put in a second print run and we haven't even launched the book so i think that when a when a book becomes so so widespread and the, and we haven't even launched the the kindle version yet so uh, and we are going to launch a hindi version also uh, you know i and when we come to us we are going to go around so many places and do about 40 50 events in the us also us and canada and then europe it's not going to be easy for them to ignore it and i think uh, government people will will find it uh, they'll be looking like fools if the public knows things that the government should know but they don't know well, so they'll be public they have no problem they have no problems looking like fools <laughs> I I know that having served there for 35 years. <laughs> okay, Rajiv ji, I think we can let you go. After let me ask me uh, ask the audience to um, uh, give you one or two top questions, and after that we can let you go. Okay, well, give me one question. 
it's uh, it's uh, six seconds left. But anyway, one uh, one minute left. Sorry. Give me one question. I'll answer and then I'll run. Okay. Then you we'll uh, talk to Vijayji on those questions. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's have the top question. 